an Ironic Media production. Visit us at ironickmedia.com. All right, welcome back to the Stark Transformation Show. I'm your host, Amy Stark. If this podcast has been broadcasting healing vibes into your life, please follow on Apple and Spotify and leave a review. Your review helps other people find this podcast and the transformations continue. And don't forget to share this podcast with anyone you think will benefit. Let's heal together. So equal is not fair and fair is not equal. So that's sort of care, give clarity, give autonomy, provide relationships, build equity. And if you care for people, they'll care back. So that's sort of the, the, the care model for that component of how do you, what, what are the interpersonal skills that drive emotional intelligence. And, and know that it's easier said than done because, again, there's a bunch of biases that actually prevent you from providing clarity, giving autonomy, building relationships, and, and having equity in a team. Welcome to the Stark Transformation Show. I'm your host, Amy Stark. In this show, I'll be sharing messages of hope, healing, and transformation. I'll teach you how to shift your mindset, conquer your fears, and become the best version of you. You'll hear incredible stories of transformation and about the extraordinary journey I've been on for well over a decade. My connection with energy is so strong, and I can't wait to share it with you. Let's get started. All right. Today on the podcast, I have Alex Draper, and we are going to be talking about how to authentically lead from the heart, either at home, in your life, or at work. Alex used to be a teacher and then decided to go into adult education and now owns DX leadership programs and has trained over 25,000 people around the world to be better leaders. We are going to be talking about EQ today. So we've mentioned that on the podcast. I took that test, the emotional quotient test. We've talked about an intelligence test as well. We're going to dive into that and behavioral psychology, what gets people motivated and what the difference is between a good leader and a great leader, because these are really important things to know. And also I asked Alex if he would give us some tips on how to be more present as a parent, because he apparently has just gone through some training on that. So welcome to the show, Alex. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Amy. How did you get started into becoming this world leader in training and understanding that we are going from this old way of thinking where there's just like this boss and you got to do what he says and there's no you know heart in it. You know, it's just kind of like numbers. How did you create this? How did you create DX leadership programs? You just said it. How do we go from numbers to people? So my previous life before I started DX in 2015 was actually doing management training. So we taught business acumen, strategic acumen, sort of the IQ. So taught thousands and thousands and thousands of these people all over the world. And the same thing, I just witnessed the same thing, which is, it doesn't matter how good you are with numbers and how you've got an MBA from Chicago or Kellogg or Stanford, the best spreadsheet in the world, unless you can actually engage people with, with said spreadsheet, you're going from good to great, right? You it's the engagement of the people that matters the most. And, and you can tell someone what to do, but at some point they're going to revolt. Hence why 42 million people have probably quit in the last two years because they're sick and tired of being told how to do their job and micromanage. But that's, that's a whole different story. But that's where it all came from. Just 
the knowledge and understanding that it's after witnessing so many people and teaching the sort of IQ for many years and understanding that it's actually not IQ that differentiates you. In fact, has nothing to do with it whatsoever. It's actually <laughs> your, your ability to be emotionally intelligent with those that you serve is, is the, the most important differentiating factor between a good and a great leader. And unfortunately, there are many, many reasons why there are so few great leaders and, and we can dig into that. But that was, I, I saw it. I had a couple of bosses that weren't the best and just knew no one deserves the right to be sent home more stressed than when they came. Nobody, no human being in the whole wide world deserves that. Yeah, I can guarantee many of the listeners more than likely go home more stressed than when they came and have to, to live with that. And, and if you're stressed at work, you're stressed at home. Mm. The body stress kills. So yeah. why is this acceptable? Oh, I love that. I love that you said that. Why is that acceptable? And I like that you are making it your mission to change bad leaders into great leaders. We need that. What do you think is the best way to tackle this IQ emphasis to then bring in this EQ? How can we do that? Because I know you have this care program and I like how you talked about clarity, authenticity, relationships, and equality. So can you dive into those pieces so that we can try to figure out how we can become better ourselves as leaders, but also in our the stewards of our own lives? Yeah, let's go to EQ first. So the, for me, the, the most important part of EQ is the first piece, which again, differentiating from good to great. So self-awareness is the top, top left quadrant of Goldman's EQ two by two. So self-awareness, self-regulation, empathy for all intents purposes, and interpersonal skills are the four quadrants of, of EQ. Well, self-awareness for me is if you can't lead yourself, how the hell do you lead others, right? If you can't have compassion for yourself and know thyself, how on earth are you going to lead others? And it doesn't matter if you're at home or at work, there's two pieces to this. There's your identity, what you think about yourself and know about yourself, and perception, how others perceive you. And the bigger the gap between how you think you act and how they think you act causes either immense amount of stress or in, in great cases when there's a very small gap between identity and perception creates great leadership. So at home, if you think you're an amazing cook or you clean every night, how many, how many of you have an argument with your better half about, no, I washed the dishes last night. You didn't wash the dishes last night. Are you kidding me? Oh, I, I, fold, the, I fold the laundry. You, <laughs> you never fold the laundry. I do all the housework. You don't do any housework. Those huge gaps between what you think and what the other person sees, that's a problem, an immense problem. And we're just either terrible at being honest with each other because there's 165 biases in the brain. It's 165 reasons why we're all terrible at leading. One of those biases is the courtesy bias. The cognitive bias is basically a, a, a shortcut to preserve the brain power and energy to reallocate resources and scan for threats, because at the end of the day, we're all just humans and we want to scan for threats and survive. When a bias has a negative outcome, typically by an assumption, it, it actually causes a lot of grief out there. One of those biases is the courtesy bias. That is the tendency that we tend to say things that aren't the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, because we don't want to tell the truth for fear of upsetting other people. Oh, so wow. we just hide it. We cabbage it. We can't, we, is that even a word? Cabbage? Whatever. <laughs> we are nice to each other, especially right. here in the Midwest versus yeah. being kind and being honest. And that for me is the biggest problem. If we're not honest with each other, then how on earth can we create the self-awareness, which is quadrant one of emotional intelligence? You can't be emotionally intelligent unless you are self-aware. And uh, Tasha Urich has some empirical research, and here's your problem. 
She says that 95% of us with her research think that we're self-aware, but only 10 to 15% of us are. So only one out Whoa. of 10 people is self-aware. <laughs> wow. And most of them think they are. Isn't, isn't that the problem? Most of us, well, are you kidding me? I'm really self-aware. No, you're not. <laughs> so that's for me, that there it is. There's, there's the next pandemic out there. A lack mm. of self-awareness because you can't be emotionally intelligent without it. I took that test, like I said, and out of all the scores, I got the lowest in the self-awareness, which I was really surprised. I got a 78. I got a hundred on the social awareness, the self-management, I got 91 and the relationship management, I got a 97. So there's a big gap there. (laughs) But I do have to say that I didn't think that the questions, I didn't think they were great questions. I think I might be so self-aware that I might've overanalyzed the answers. (laughs) I'm not so sure. Is that possible? Let me just challenge you on this one. Please do. Self-awareness is not self-created. So I always, the EQ test, I'm like, how can you measure self-awareness when it's a self-awareness test? Right. It's a self-created test. Because self-awareness is the gap between what you think about yourself, your identity, and how others see you. So how can you measure self-awareness in a self-assessment? Right. How do you normally do that then if you can't take the test yourself? Is there a way around that? Yeah, you ask for feedback from your team members and your, your wife, your husband, your kids, okay. right? So it's, it's the co- self-awareness, again, comes from, from minimizing the gap between what you think about yourself and what others perceive you. So your curiousness is what, what cures a lack of self-awareness, right? The don't be a know-it-all, be a learn-it-all. Mm-hmm. Never, know, never think that everything. That's like the, the most it's horrible, again, great to good, good to great know-it-alls. It's all about me. I know everything. Are you kidding me? I can't learn anything here to, you know what? I'm going to learn something from this podcast. I'm not going to have the, 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 the mindset of there's nothing here. I can, that's a fixed mindset, right? The fixed mindset of there's nothing that this person can teach me versus what can I take from this conversation? That's how you reduce self-awareness. So it's sort of, it's, it's leading into the growth mindset of I wasn't born this way. I thrive on learning. I love to make mistakes and I want to be a better human. That's where it all comes from. That's funny. That's part of my human design is I love to make mistakes and trial and error and experimentation. When I first started about 16 years ago, I, I realized that I have this growth mindset, which is important. That's what you're talking about is like, I don't know anything or I know some things and I want to learn more. And this person can teach me I'm valuable or Malleable and malleable. Actually, I was like, which one came out of my mouth? So yeah, it's important that we are like that. So that's why I was like, I'm not so sure about the self-awareness part of the test, but the other ones, I, since I got hundred, of course they were absolutely accurate. <laughs> but anyway, so tell us more about how we can become better leaders through those different quadrants. So be curious, be curious to your point, always see learning and everything, always be asking versus telling Every human that you come into contact, I love Bill, what Bill Nye said, which is everyone knows something that you don't know. My mm. question is, are you asking? Seek feedback, I think, is number one. So for that quadrant of self-awareness, seek feedback. Be open to feedback and listen. So quadrant number two is self-regulation. Empathy, which we, we define as walking in the shoes of others without judgment. And the judgment piece is probably the toughest part of that. But the empathy in this one and, and just self-regulation is 165 biases, give or take one or two in the brain. A bias basically is, is, is good for you. It's a selfish. You're all selfish. You're all self-centered. That's how we're designed. We are selfish creatures for we want to survive. Right. Leadership is selfless. It's about helping others survive. 
So it's about my wife. It's about my two kids. It's about my 19 members. I sacrifice myself for them. That's servant leadership. So self-regulation is difficult. Helps to get better at self-regulating, understanding that you have 165 inhibitors to help you be a great leader, or you just puts you in, 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 oh, I know why I do this now. Now I know why I'm nice to you. It's because I had the courtesy bias, right? I don't want to be nice. I want to be kind. You can actually self-regulate by catching yourself doing things that are very selfish. So hmm. for me, self-regulation, the ability to, to emotionally regulate both yourself is to know that you are not, you're hardwired for selfish reasons, but also when you see other people do it, again, empathy walking in the shoes of others without judgment. Because you understand more about, again, you can't just do this in a, in a podcast, right? Go go find out what these biases are. Go download the codex yeah. and go learn. Go learn about biases. Go learn that you are a selfish, self-centered human <laughs> and that you need to become selfless. F- go figure yeah, it out. I thought you were going to say a selfish little <laughs> and then a bad word. Sorry. <laughs> We can, uh, we can say we can say whatever we want. We can, I okay. know I did tell you that. But yeah, it is true. And I remember in psychology class, like when I learned that there's no true altruism, I was pissed off. I was like, no, there's got to be. But it, in reality, you get something always in return. And here's another example of like, we think that we might be doing something for the better of other people, but it's really to preserve our own safety. You got so, it. Great. So hold on one second. You had said that one of the 165 biases would be being nice versus kind. Yep. Okay. Wow. Just that tiny distinction there is, is one of the biases. <laughs> so nice, nice is Alex walks past with food stuck in his mouth and he looks, looks like an idiot. <laughs> nice is, oh, Alex, I love your, I love your jeans and shoes. You look great. Kind is you got food stuck in your mouth. Mm-hmm. Right? I love it. So yeah. I, you, but your own brain would get in the way. So oh, I don't want to say he, I don't want to say this food is stuck in his mouth. He might, he might hold that against me. Your brain's saying that to yourself. Mm-hmm. And therefore you go, oh, you look great versus you look like an idiot. Oh, thanks. I'm glad you said that. Oh my God, I do. Right. <laughs> It's Every. true. People are, because um, I'm that person. I will tell people when there's food in their teeth and they're always so grateful. They're always like, oh yeah. man, I didn't want to walk around looking like an idiot. And, and isn't that the same with self-awareness, right? So we tend to hold back information and data about what people do and don't do for fear of how they might react versus just telling them. And that's a, it's a problem. It's just a problem. It's why there's so many divorces. It's why there's so many and divorce in the workplace is leaving jobs we do it because we could have said something, but we didn't say something or we did say something and we were courteous in saying it. And the person on the receiving end, you can't change what you don't know needs to change, right? Human beings are totally imperfect. No, no, we all suck. We're all selfish. <laughs> We're all wired to be narcissists, right? So we are wired to be narcissistic assholes. Some of us fight it, but most of us unknowingly do the best that we can. There are some, don't get me wrong. There are some assholes. Please just don't work. You find one, run away from them. Right. But most of us, we're human. We want to help, but I'm not, I can't do any better unless you tell me. Right. I'm not a genius. Are you kidding me? I've got 165 biases. I'm imperfect. I make mistakes every single day. And unless you tell me I make mistakes, I'll just keep doing the same thing. Right. And for me, that is, that's the biggest problem that we've got out there, both at home and at work, is we're just not honest. We're just too nice. Too nice and we're not kind. Yep. Yeah, I love it. So you can see how that would play out in the workforce where somebody presents an idea and it sucks and everybody's like, oh, isn't that nice? <laughs> <laughs> Great idea. Oh my God. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that stunts the the growth of everyone you can imagine, because then people like can feel that energy of like, uh oh, I just got mixed signals here. Like they said it was good. And I felt like they thought it was bad. Right. And then they yep. start distrusting the environment and the feedback and the people around them, because then they're, they're now walking on eggshells being like, I'm getting mixed signals. Now, maybe they're not even thinking about all this. Maybe this is all just an internal sensations and feelings and stuff like that. So then they start not producing content and not being creative because they don't feel safe. Yep. There you go. And, and liked or well-received. Yeah. Cool. Could you want to go over the other two that are left? Yeah. And how that relates yeah. to leadership? Yeah. I think top right is that social awareness. For me, that's empathy. So again, our definition of empathy is, is walking in the shoes of others without judgment. Social awareness, again, it's we're all wired for conversational narcissism, right? So we're, I dare you all tonight, go to your group of friends and just sit there and listen. Say nothing. Just say nothing. I can guarantee you nearly nine times out of 10, one friend speaks and another friend speaks and another friend speaks and another friend speaks, but no one's really interlinking the conversation from the previous person and everyone's just waiting for their turn to talk. Mm. So we're all hardwired for conversational narcissism. Fight, flight, or be liked. We want to be liked. And therefore we all want to speak. We want to speak our minds. Everyone else likes us. So we're just all, unfortunately, waiting for our turn to talk. But if you're waiting for your turn, if you're thinking about talking, if you're multitasking or you are talking or thinking about thinking about what you want to talk about, what are you not doing? Listening. Not do, you got it. You're not doing the most important skill in, the, in for me in the human race, which is just listen, listen and learn. So that where, that's where empathy, so social awareness is stop talking, start listening. If, if you go to any family, any, any group of people, we're all just yabba, 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 yabba. But the real, the real learners are the ones that sit back and just look and look and listen. And that's social awareness. Yeah. Um, I spent the first 30 years of my life observing. <laughs> <laughs> then I started talking about what I observe. And the last quadrant is self-management, right? It's the interpersonal skills. So it's the, it's, it's you're self-aware, you can self-regulate you have social awareness, and now what do you do? So for me, it's, this is the, the 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 interpersonal skills. I think step four, it's called many different things. I think it's relationship management, interpersonal skills. But this is now your the demonstration of people first leadership skills because it's all very well being self aware. It's all very well understanding how humans work and the brain works so that you can self regulate and stop judging others back based on lack of information. It's all very well being a listener and being curious and, and, and understanding human beings, how do you actually demonstrate that? So this is where we bring in our care model, which is. Our what? Our, the, the care, care model, which oh, is. Oh, care yeah, model. Right. Care. Sorry, I'll speak American. The four components of, of great leadership and, and, and from good to great is if, if my job is to help my team survive and not me, well, isn't the basic principle put them in a safe place and give them what their brain needs in order for their brain to feel like it is safe. Mm -hmm. So those four ingredients are clarity. We all needed to know where it was safe to eat in the old days. And if we didn't know where it was safe to eat or where the saber toothed tiger was going to come from, it meant death. So my job and my, my environment for those that I serve whether at home or work is to give my kids clarity, my wife clarity and my team clarity. Why are we doing what we're doing? What are we supposed to be doing? When we're we supposed to be doing it? Who, right? All if it's ambiguous, it meant death in the old days. So stop stealing clarity and and give people a clear message. Are you going to be home at six thirty or six thirty-five or seven? Okay, oh, sorry, 
Okay, I'll be home at 6.30, I promise. And you then come home at 6.40. Well, then, of course, survival mode. The more clear you are, again, as Brenny Brown said once, to be clear is to be kind. So let's be clear and create clarity for people. A stands for autonomy. In the old days, we needed to know where it was safe to eat. If, and if it didn't, it meant death. So oh, oh, no, if, if it was cold, we'd want to build a fire. It's like the, if, it was, if it was a, a hurricane, we'd run into the cave. So we actually feel more comfortable when we're in control of our environment. But of course, that means for leadership point of view, I need to relinquish my control to those so that they feel that they have control, which is a problem. That's why I have so much micromanaging out there because we're actually not good at releasing control because our actual right. brain wants to give, have control. So that's autonomy. Give, give people autonomy. R stands for relationships. In the old days, if my skill was not valued in the tribe, it meant death because I was going to get right. excommunicated from it. It's like, we don't need you anymore. Sorry, there's no room for you here. So help people value them. So what, what's that sense? Create that sense of belonging. I value you. This is what you bring to the table. Thank you so much, right? That's that relationship piece, the human piece. And the last one's equity, which is treating people fairly, right? Not equal, but fair, right? We can't, we couldn't distribute food and resources equally among the tribe because those that were going about to go out hunting would need more food because if they came back without food, it meant death for us all. Or someone was ill, look, have my blanket. I can survive two days without a blanket. You need it more than I can. Take my blanket. I need you back. We couldn't distribute things equally. And when was equal ever fair? Every single human mm. being is different in some form or fashion. My question to us as, as humans is, are we, are we treating people equally? Does everyone get a 30-minute check-in call every week? Does everyone get the same amount of food? Does everyone get the same amount of resources? Because if you're doing that, trust me, someone in that unit is going to feel like, well, that's not fair. Why does that person get more or less than me? Why, why, why do I not get what I need? Hmm. So equal is not fair and fair is not equal. So that's sort of care. Give clarity, give autonomy, provide relationships, build equity. And if you care for people, they'll care back. So that's sort of the, the, the care model for that component of how do you, what, what are the interpersonal skills that drive emotional intelligence. And, and know that it's easier said than done because, again, there's a bunch of biases that actually prevent you from providing clarity, giving autonomy, building relationships and, and having equity in a team. Yeah. I mean, it, our brain is always screwing us over, but you know, that's why it's important to lead with our heart because you can feel these things if you take the leap to try to feel them. And, and as you were talking, I was like, oh, I can see where these things apply in my own life and how I've been doing them. And it helps to be a great leader when you're already doing some of these things. And obviously there's always room for improvement. So if we were to transition from there to how do you get people motivated to take this step? Like, how do you get them to abandon? I mean, because honestly, this whole idea of control, for instance, I have experienced that in my life. When I was going through my transformation years ago, I was working for somebody and I was like, I can't believe the amount of control this person is trying to have. It makes no sense. They've hired us to do these things. So I, I realized that that was a learning lesson for me to like to be, not be like that and not be over controlling and, and to allow people to have their creative juices flowing and step in and feel empowered. I could imagine as if you're leading a large team of people, how do you get people to relinquish that control to a degree? Obviously not entirely. Yeah, I think the key is it goes back to the quadrant number one, which is self-awareness. Going trying to link self-awareness to, to the to mindset. So fixed mindset. I'm born this way. 
my innate skills and talents are, are fixed. And there's, therefore, I see failure as a, as a loss. Versus growth mindset, I'm imperfect. I, the only thing that I can ever do, because for me, leadership is like cooking and golf and, and art. You can never perfect it. The only thing that you can ever do is, is get better. There's no, there's no perfection in leadership. Because same with any, any other sport or, or art, it's, it's a case of it, you only get better because you're imperfect. So it's, it's how do you trigger the notion that I am imperfect the only thing I can do is get better. And I want to seek how to do that. So for me, that's self-awareness. Find ways to trigger the growth mindset, to create humility and humbleness so that people just become sponges and move from a know-it-all to a learn-it-all. So that for me is the most important part. How do you inspire the growth mindset within humans? Yeah. How do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. I hope, so you wouldn't <laughs> ask that question. We do. You could give us one thing. Yeah. So our business is all about that. So just that, that's our that's everything that we are about. And, and for us, experiential. So there's, there's the hard way and the simple way. The hard way, of course, is engaging someone like us, which is using experiential learning. So the, the art of learning by doing and reflecting upon that, that doing and, and look at yourself in the mirror and go, holy crap, I never knew that I did that. So get to, to see yourself doing these things in a, in a safe environment is really what we do. And when you see yourself, because again, you, you're, you're like, I don't do that. Are you kidding me? So we create experiences for people to see their own biases and see their wow, own natural good behaviors. Idea. <laughs> yeah. Because until you see it, you're like, it's not yeah, me. It's, not, it's, it's not always me. someone else. Right. <laughs> so that's one way to do it. Definitely um, conversations I've had <laughs> with people. <laughs> exactly. The second way, which is probably a lot of what you do, it's find a coach. I've got two coaches and a mentor. I've got a, a wonderful wife and, and, and I ask as many questions as I can of every single human being I ever come, come across what do I do that inhibits your success? What's something I should know about myself that you purely in 100% inquisitive, always seeking to learn. So you can accelerate it using experiential learning, or you can just continually be a, an inquisitive, curious human being. And of course, you might not agree with what everyone says, but when you get, I always say one person says one thing, that's, who cares, it's an opinion. When three people say something that's very similar, now you've got a data point. Right. So again, the more people you ask, the more information and you get, oh shit, I heard that before. Crap. Oh <laughs> crap. I do that, don't I? All right. Time to change. Right. So data, again, empathy. <laughs> by knowing you are not assuming, by assuming you make an ass out of you and me. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So let's, let's start knowing by asking. So yeah, right. that's the, the, that takes, that's your, the, both ways are the same. It's, it's you're looking at yourself one either in a, a safe environment, which you can do in a, a couple of hours, or you can do it over years and years by asking and being curious. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I like the idea of having a growth mindset. Obviously, I've embodied that for many, many years now. When you were talking about I'm trying to think of what how you said it, because you've said so many great things. The the assuming part that makes an asset of you and me, I use that <laughs> probably at least once a month talking to people because people do make a lot of assumptions in life. It's crazy. You will think it's fact, but it's really an assumption. So really look, if you're really trying to change yourself and work on yourself or build relationships or fix relationships, look at where the assumptions that you're making and go off of fact, if you can get yourself calm enough to see the facts. And that's the whole thing that I, I wanted to talk about is like, 
what we're really discussing ultimately is this identity shift. And anytime there's an identity shift, you're going to have your fight or flight come on. Because as we talked about, you're trying to figure out where you fit in within the tribe and if you're going to make it. And if you change too much or not enough, you are probably going to be killed off or exiled or whatever. Sacrifice. I don't know. People be like, why don't you go into the cave? (laughs) You're the least helpful person. So it's important that when we're making these changes in our daily lives, like when we're trying to become a better person, at first we will be hijacked. It's just a natural state that our brain goes into to survive, to to keep us safe. We have to override that in order to change and become self-aware and say like, is this really something I want to continue doing and get into a calm space, realize and ask questions, stay curious. Cause like we've talked about this on the podcast as well. When we get out of fight or flight and into the parasympathetic nervous system, we are now empowered and we can see all available options or most available options. We can get curious. And that's what I always talk about is like getting into this childlike mentality and ask questions. And here's the thing, when you ask the question and you get the answer, and if you don't like it, like you said, you can say, okay, maybe that's their opinion. But if you hear it three times, that's good evidence that something is probably a pattern. And and then that's when you have to get honest with yourself. That's what I tell people is like, be honest with yourself. Like, is this really true? Is this happening? Is this a coping mechanism? Is this something that you want to change? Can you do something different? And it doesn't have to be huge. Like I was working with somebody and and they're like, well, do I abandon everything in my life? And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> just, just get calm. Like whatever that looks like, whether it's taking a walk or watching a movie that's funny or going on a vacation, meditating, tapping, these are your, your tools or resources that you have at your hand so you can change your life. And you have to do it from a calm state because your brain just says this is not a safe thing to do when you are trying to transform or change your identity. Yep. Before we finish, I just want to hear a little bit about this trip that you just recently took. You went to a retreat, I think you said, right? And you were learning about how to be more present. Can you tell us more about that? Because as somebody who's been studying this and has created a program since 2015 and you're helping people to become more self-aware. What is it like to parent knowing this stuff? I mean, we're not perfect. I try to be very present for my son and I still find myself checking out at times. It's almost like you need a break from this Uber presence. But what what did you learn? Because you were quoting some Harvard research before we got started. I want to hear about it. I, yeah, I had a three-day retreat. So it's called the Institute of Learning Providers, a whole bunch of, of learning providers executive CEOs and founders of, of companies like ours. Ken Blanchard was there. Jack Zenger was there. So just some industry titans. It was just great to mingle with, with people in our, in our world. Three days, the very last thing that happened was called All About Change, Human Change, led by someone, a Harvard professor, and I forget her name. I'm so sorry. But the whole idea was a process for human change. And I volunteered to do, to be stand up and basically let her use me as a process. She's like, well, what do you want to change? So I said, well, what specifically would you like to change? So I listed all the pains in my life, blah, blah, blah. And then we isolated the fact that I want to spend more time with my family. Running a business that's just come out of a pandemic, we lost significant amount of business when the pandemic happened because we were in-person only. So we had six months of no revenue. And even before that, we had some pains in the business. So just we've we've had probably three or four years of business pain from some good and bad decisions that I've made and some challenges. So we've essentially had five years of strife, which takes a toll on any human being. 
Well, can I just pause for a second? I I think honestly that the world wasn't quite ready for you. And I think now post pandemic, we are definitely ready for you. There had to be a lot of dismantling of the old ways of thinking and the ways the companies were structured and the priorities that people once had, such as working 12 hour days and not spending time with family. And that's all shifted. And the clothes that are important and things that's more, more what I call third chakra. So around control and perception of how others see them. Yeah. So I, it's interesting. I mean, obviously there's lots of reasons why things happen, but I do think that the world is moving in this direction that you're talking about, about this understanding of the human nature and we're here to connect that we're here to support that we're here to grow. It is. And I think that's the, the toughest part of this because exactly at, at the same time that our business sort of caved in, we, we fixed it, but we caved in with the six months of no revenue. And I got to spend every day with my family with not much work. We had no client work. So for six months, apart from trying to build a whole new business, it was like, oh, this is what it's like to be present. I was there for the kids every day. I was present. I wasn't working 14 hours a day. Fast forward two years, two and a half years, I am working 14 hours a day, six days a week. And I, 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 I fell straight back into what I was before. Right? I traveled probably 60% of the time before the pandemic. I thought I was present, but I'm not. And I reevaluated what I value. I wanted to put family first. And here I am again, 14 hours a day. What was fascinating is this, this, this change process got me to, to look at the isolate, the, well, what's preventing you from doing it. So we're like, I want to spend at least two to three hours every day decoupled so that, remember, if you're thinking about thinking, if you're multitasking, if you do it, you're not listening. Sometimes I'm here, but I'm not really here, right? I'm just thinking about what, what, do, I, what do I need to do tomorrow? What, am I, what, can I do, what can I do tonight? I'm always thinking about stuff. It's just the nature of who I am. So I want to be two hours present at least every day for my family. We then fast forward a couple of hours and it got down to the ability to find out what's inhibiting you. Okay, here we go. Assumption. What is the assumption that you're making that is making you do that? And she got it. She's wonderful, wonderful coach. And using this, this methodology of change process, she got it down to the core of, I fear the fear. The fear is if I don't work 14 hours a day, that we will miss payroll because of things that, that I do that no one else can do. That means we won't make payroll. And the nine people that come to work for me will be out of a job. I fear that it's, I, I, I have to do this stuff. Of course, the challenge is, well, challenge that. How do you challenge that assumption that it's, if you don't do the things that you do for 14 hours a day, that they, you won't be able to make payroll? And that's the place that I'm at right now. Of course, it's, it's go on vacation for four weeks and, and put it to the test, but we're not in a financial position yet to do that. But what I have done is start to turn my phone off for two hours and turn it back on and go, has the world ended? Of course, not bloody. So then it's three hours. So right now at two hours, I write it on the fridge, two hours every day, phones off. I'm decoupling. She said, just do it three times a week, oh, but wow. then go to five times a week. Then it's going to be turn your phone off for three hours, then four hours, and then take a vacation and turn your Just keep testing the assumption. The fear is that I felt, again, we've all got this fear inside us. So again, the brain's a survival mechanism. So my question to all, your, the question to yourself is, what's the fear and what's the assumption that you're making that is leading you to doing something, in this case, presence? Number one, if, if you don't value it, I value it. I want to, I want to be here for my kids. I kill it kills me that when I sit there and I'm on my freaking phone answering an email or thinking about an email I need to send, really angers me. And it's again, I, I value it. There are people who don't care. So I can't help you. 
you're an asshole. <laughs> but for those of you who want to be present, you know, what's the fear that's leading you to doing the things that you're doing that is, mean, means your brain's not actually there, it's somewhere else? Mm. And then what's the assumption that, that's making it happen? That was it. I, I wish I had the notes in front of me to really go through that, but that's what happened to me. And it was revolutionary to really understand what it was that's causing it in the first place and to isolate the brain assumption because your brain's just an assumption making machine. And then you can work, work through challenging that assumption. It's like, oh, it's great. So I'm, I'm working on it. I am not there yet, but every day is a, a better day. I love that you're challenging yourself in that way. It's very hard. I'm going to be honest, there's probably not just one assumption or one program or one fear that you're running off of. They kind of are overlaid, related to past traumas of where you felt like you might not have been enough or whatever. So it, it is a deep process. But again, we can shift if we do something repetitively or if we stack the evidence or if we do something like EFT, which releases the trauma and it reprograms your brain because it it takes down that neural network that says that you're not enough or that if you do something like this, then it means this. You can change that. So yeah, I, I kudos to you. It's not, it's not easy being present. Like I said, I even find myself as much as I value presence and I value being there and always with my son. There are times that I find myself being like, just hang on a second. I just got to finish this email or I got to send this text or whatever, or put this person in the calendar or whatever. And mostly that comes from me not wanting to let the other person down, right? And so you are a good person because you're doing it. And also you don't want things to fall through the cracks. Listen, I am neurodivergent. I don't know if you are, but sometimes just the anxiety of thinking that I'm going to miss an email or something like that. And then somebody's going to be somewhere where I should have been it'll take me out of that moment. So it is just easier sometimes just to send it out. But if we're constantly doing that and for hours or whatever, that's different. And, and like you said, when we first started stress kills, so like figure out where the stresses are and get rid of them, however they look or wherever they are, we need to be more gentle with ourselves and kind to ourselves and recognize that we are imperfect and that we do have these biases. And when we do have a brain that tries to tell us lies all the time, we need to lead from our heart and feel into the situation because that will be where the truth is for sure. So Alex, tell us where we can learn more about this care program because you have DX learning programs. There's different tiers of like where you can learn more about yourself and how you can be a, become a great leader. I would just start by joining the fan club. So go to our DX learning page. So DX learning, we have a, a blog that we put there. Find me on, on LinkedIn, Alex Draper at DX learning. I put a monthly newsletter about all of this stuff and and just there we go keep 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 on learning if of course if you ever want to check out the sort of leadership training programs that we do check out our website dx-learning.com and uh, but i think join the newsletter join the blog and create that curiousness yeah and you wrote a book the care equation right it's coming out in september i hope we're, we're back it's been that's been oh my gosh Writing a book was was just as difficult. No, that's that was I say just as hard as having a kid. It's like having a kid. It is. <laughs> it's, it comes from the same chakra. So there we it comes go. From the, the second chakra, which is around creation. So yeah, I, <laughs> I'm also in the process of writing my book. So I do understand that it can be a form of labor. <laughs> <laughs> yes. A labor so, of love. It's yeah, it's coming out. Is there anything else you want to share with the listener? I will answer the question you asked at the start by linking it to what we just discussed at the end, which is what differentiates good leadership to great leadership. And I'll even go, what differentiates an asshole to, to someone who is perceived to be a great leader 
is someone who's present, who can and has managed to figure out a way to, to be holy, holy there for those that they are talking to and conversing with. And it's, and it's when you are talking when someone's present, because they are, you can see it in their eyes, you can see it and hear it in the conversation and the, in the questions that they are asking and their ability to actively listen when someone's present or not. And it feels great to be in the presence of someone who is present. But to do that, you, you have to do so many things around you to, you gotta be focused, you gotta prioritize, you've gotta create clarity for yourself and for your team. You've gotta give autonomy and not be a micromanager so that you have time to be present because you need time. So in order to be present, you've had to done some great things to do it. So for me, that is the output of being a great leader is the time and ability and mindset to be there for your people. So now that I think you asked the question at the start and we answered it together at the end, which is presence is what differentiates good to great. I love it. And that's why it's so important to you and me. I, I think that we both want to be great leaders and teach people what we can and I think growth mindset is where it's at, honestly. And I just want to say, when you were saying this whole idea of when somebody's not present with you, that you can feel it. For me, I feel it like they dropped a line. Like, so there's a line between me and them and they dropped it like a phone line. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, it literally, I, and I will pause and I will say, do you have something that you need to do right now? Or what, what's going on? <laughs> like, are you yeah. okay? So I, I can definitely feel it and other people definitely feel it. They may not be aware of it. So they're sensing it. Even when I'm podcasting, like, or on somebody else's podcast, I will pause and I will say, is, do you need to get that phone or whatever? And they'll be like, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I just need to turn it off or whatever. It's bothering me. It's important. And, and really what greater pleasure can we give somebody than to be fully present and look at them and see them for who they really are and love on it. Right. Yeah. And Alex, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate the conversation and insights and the passion that you bring to, to this subject. Thank you. So I hope that everybody out there, you feel more ready to lead authentically from your heart. All content provided by Amy Stark and or her guests on the Stark Transformation Show website or other platforms, including text, images, audio, or other formats, are created for informational purposes only. Always seek the advice of a physician or qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition. Amy Stark is not a doctor or a therapist.